Hello, and welcome to Building Community with Whitney and Anu. We are two Asian American millennials who aim to empower our communities through our stories and words, one cup of tea at a time. Today we are covering what I would say is one of the most abstract parts of human existence, and that is one's personality and how one kind of builds up said personality. Now, if you're old enough to find our podcast entertaining, you've probably taken the Myers-Briggs personality test, probably in high school or college, where you answer a variety of questions, and that's supposed to tell you how you perceive the world using a series of letters. Though entertaining, the test itself and others like it have become problematic, particularly for people within marginalized communities, as employers have looked into some form of it to weed out job applicants, using it as a weapon against those who are not perceived as, quote, normal in American culture. But before we dive into that, what do we say when we say personality? Like, what do we mean by that? Yeah, so for me, personality is sort of like the embodiment of who you are. So it's kind of like your essence. So um, I guess some people would describe me as more quiet, more um, reserved, witty. Um, so I think it's just those characteristics that make up who you are and is 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 both kind of the way you look at yourself and how others look at you as well. Yeah, definitely. I think it's a combo of experiences and values, cultural influences, maybe uh, experiences that people before you and your family have experienced, um, intergenerational experiences. Um, But yeah, I do definitely think it's the embodiment of who you are, whether you're quiet or outspoken or whatever. I would say that my personality has, I think at the baseline, it's been more or less similar throughout my, my life because I I consider myself a pretty reserved person, pretty private person, but I've been surprised to learn that some people thought that I was very, it's interesting. Some people have thought that I was really open when I first met them. And Hmm. some people have said that I've, they thought I was intimidating when I first met them. Like I have some friends who were like, Oh, I wasn't sure if you liked me or not. Like that's a popular one. Like some people are like, Oh, I thought you didn't like me when I first, when I first met you. And I was like, no, that's just my face. Like, <laughs> I don't know. It just, <laughs> it, it just depends. Um, but I think it, I think a part of that depends on how you met me and like what version of me you met. Because if like, I've had friends where we've been friends since college or high school. And it's like, well, if you've known me that long, then you've met at least three different versions of me probably. Yeah. And so it's bound to change. True. Yeah. And there's this great quote that says the version of me that you used to know doesn't exist anymore. And I think that's very appropriate. Like I know the version of me that was there in high school definitely doesn't exist anymore because I had a huge growth period um, just personal growth in terms of just speaking up more and finding up, finding my voice in college. So um, I, I definitely think there, I definitely think there can be growth in personality. For me, personality has never been this thing that's uh, fixed. It's, it's more malleable. It's more something you can mold. I think if you have the same personality now, as you did in high school. That's so cringe. Like when I think about some <laughs> things that I did in high school or like acted in like in high school, I'm like, oh God, that's so it keeps me up at night every so often. But I have to remember like if you have to get the cringe out like when you're younger. Like if you get the cringe out when you're younger and you're in your 20s, 30s, like you're you're past the cringe point, hopefully. Like there's probably still hints of cringe, but it's not like perpetual cringe, like adolescence is perfect for. I found a similar quote on Instagram um, recently where it was, uh, I followed this relationship uh, coach and Mm -hmm. I follow a few, but I don't remember who I saw, whose I saw it on. But um, one of them said like to be with someone for a long time means that you um, attend various funerals of like who they used to be because they're going to change and they're going to like, they're going to like see different things. And I found that that was interesting because in American culture, funerals are seen like, oh, that's a definite end. But it's like, 
this quote or thought made me think of like, oh, it's like a change. Like it's not a bad thing. You just, you collect different experiences, you learn new things and you see things differently. And, um, and that's pretty cool. Yeah. Like kind of like a rebirth. Kind of like a rebirth. Yeah. Yeah. Or like, like a tweak depending. For sure. Yeah. And, um, just for all the listeners who didn't have a great time in high school, I, I can relate. Like me. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So um, just remember, I mean, high school was supposed to be that point where, you know, you're just figuring yourself out. And trust me, if you if you peaked in high school, like that's that's not really a good thing. You know what I mean? Like you want to grow and develop from that experience and have the best years of your life later on in your life. So. So, yeah, I definitely think that as time goes on, who we are grows and that person changes. So when someone, you know, when someone comes up to me from the past and is like, oh, you know, you're you're super um, you're you're a lot more outspoken now, like in high school, you were super quiet. I mean, that's true. I mean, that's absolutely true. but it just means that they didn't they didn't see that process in which i had that growth you know like they didn't see the the linear or not linear path but they didn't see the path that i took so for them it's just this big jump from like quiet to outspoken but nothing happens overnight and that jump in fact was actually a trajectory that happened over maybe five or 10 years. That's interesting that you say that because when I run into people from high school who I haven't seen since high school, it's like we, that's the last version of me that they saw. Like Facebook makes it a little different. It makes it a little like, it skews things a little bit. This is if I go to my hometown and this and some girl I knew in high school or something works at a restaurant I used to go to a lot mm-hmm. when I was in school living in Monterey, my hometown. Um, it's almost like we don't really know what to say to each other because we don't have that connection and maybe we're not Facebook friends. A fair amount of people who I went to school with, they um, being a server at a at an expensive restaurant, not that I went to a lot of expensive restaurants growing up. Um, that's one of the more kind of affluent careers for uh, millennials, I would say. Like you can make mm-hmm. a livable wage depending on where you work, um, depending on which restaurant you work at because they rely so heavily on tourism. So it's mm-hmm. like when you meet someone it's that you knew back then, it's to me, it's like the sensation of becoming 16 again, 17 again. And it's awkward because I feel much better about myself now and I've uh, grown so much and there's like so much it's like they met me at like the first season of me or like the second season of me where I didn't have a lot of funding or content or I didn't really know which direction I was going. And now I'm like at season six, like <laughs> late twenties. Is that like season six? Like, I don't know. Like, yeah. I love yeah. that you said like you, you didn't have a lot of funding. Yeah. <laughs> didn't so have a lot of, had to ask my parents for grants. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's so true. Yeah, I I definitely think there's that disconnect with, you know, people who haven't been with you on that journey. But the reason why we sort of got, or one of the reasons we got interested in this topic of personality is because we both watched this documentary on HBO. It's called Persona, the Dark Truth Behind Personality Tests. And that documentary was just mind blowing. Like what that documentary was crazy. What was your impression of it? Well, I really, I, I really enjoy psychology. Um, if I didn't study art in college, I probably would have gone into psychology. Uh, but it was something that I studied very casually. And so when you said, oh, have you seen Persona? I was like, no, I was, this is probably something that I would have eventually watched on my own. But um, if it weren't for me, just like scrolling through all of the stuff that's available on streaming services. But I thought the documentary was pretty mind blowing because I I thought at first it was going to be about like how people's traumas, because the, the advertising, it kind of looks kind of scientific. Mm-hmm. And um, a lot of the imagery in the documentary and persona, there's a lot of kind of futuristic 
imagery. Like it moves really fast. Um, I compared it to the movie Blade Runner, which is like, it seems like my reference point for like futuristic movies. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so it's like, there's a lot of like kind of colorful, like flashy graphics. And that's, and it, that like is combined with academics researching personality tests. And you, so you start out with this researcher talking and then you talk to people who haven't been able to find jobs because of this personality test that they've taken. And I'm sure that if you're a millennial, most of you have taken some form of the Myers-Briggs test or something influenced by it when you apply for a job. And it seems pretty harmless at face value. Like you go on Indeed and you apply for jobs and you're at this personality portion where it's like, they ask you if you make friends easily or something. That's a really popular question that mm -hmm. I've seen on job applications. So you, you see people who have been harmed by these personality tests and who've been like cheated out of jobs and livelihoods with it. And then you have people who are all for the personality tests and it's driven some people to, to harm themselves because they feel less than in society. And so I thought it was really mind-blowing and I thought it was really interesting. And I learned something about Myers-Briggs that for some reason throughout all of my class crashing, I never learned. I never learned that the Myers-Briggs test is not scientific. Yeah. I had thought, I had thought that, um, that Briggs-Myers worked for Carl Jung, who was a German psychologist. Um, I thought she like met him and worked with him, but she just like created this test based on her independent research like I don't even know if she even met young like yeah exactly yeah I was a psychology major in college so I I didn't I didn't really study personality in depth but I had known about it and um, in the documentary we learned that the women behind Myers-Briggs there were two women Catherine Briggs and Isabel Briggs Catherine was the mother and Isabel was the daughter and basically, Catherine was sort of like in this domestic role, taking care of her daughter. And she decided to start noting down observations that she had of her daughter. So personality observations. And that's kind of the roots of the Myers-Briggs test. So it, yeah, it doesn't really have a scientific basis in that Catherine was a fan of Carl Jung, but um, she didn't, you know, she didn't have that actual psychology pedigree. Um, so, I mean, I think that's really problematic because at its core, what the test is, is this mother basically looking at her daughter over a period of time and noting down observations about her characteristics and and some of her daughter's friends as well. And you have this sample size of, let's say, roughly four or five people. And based on that very small sample size, we are now taking this personality test. And when I say we, it's millions and millions of people across the world. And it's a personality test that also really affects our livelihoods, you know, our careers and our essentially our lives. So it's it's definitely very bizarre and problematic. Um, just the roots and origins of this test. And it's so interesting how it is now the most influential personality test. Do you think it was marketing that made it so popular? Because it, it started from like she was basically a bored housewife, like just doing experiments in her living room. And she, her sample size was her daughter, her friends, two friends and her husband. So that's about four people. And so I, I don't remember what the documentary said, but what do you think just made it so popular? Cause the way she explains it, it's not the way she explains like introversion versus extroversion. Like they're very like kind of general it's it's generalizing a lot where it's like if you're an introvert you're quiet reserved and private but if you're an extrovert you're outgoing and you're like kind of ambitious and you're um and whatever but i i find that it's kind of like uh, corporate astrology in a way yeah so first of all the just to give everyone a little bit of background the myers-briggs test is a personality test so it 
it's basically like a list of questions that you or statements that you have to answer. And um, it, it basically measures how people perceive and make decisions in the real world. So there are four categories um, in which you can be placed into the first category, you can be placed into either introversion or extroversion. Second category, sensing or intuition. Third, thinking or feeling. And fourth, judging or perceiving. So my opinion on why it's become popular is I think what Catherine Briggs did, Catherine and Isabel did, was that they put a name to something that makes sense intuitively for us. So intuitively, like the just putting a name for introversion and extroversion, I think really resonated with people. Um, in terms of popularity, I feel like, especially in the last um, in the last few years, I've like seen it everywhere. I've seen it like on dating apps. I've seen it, you know, in terms of the workplace. I even like had to take a personality test when I was in my uh, MBA, my master's of business graduate degree program. And I took, um, I believe both the Myers-Briggs test and another test that a lot of uh, businesses and corporations take, which is called the big five test. So yeah, it's, it's just everywhere. And, you know, I'm not sure exactly where, where that rise started from, but it's, it's pretty prevalent now. I think that makes sense. What you said about how they put words to things that are really abstract because it's like people like to rationalize things a lot. So if you, I was really surprised when you had mentioned that people are putting their personality types on dating apps. Cause when I was on the dating market, we didn't, I didn't think to put my Myers-Briggs type on there, but I put my Zodiac sign on there, I think. But um, that's because, you know, like lesbian dating, like they, they look at that stuff, <laughs> but I, <laughs> I find that it's, um, that's so interesting. I, I'm pretty proud of my type, but I just, um, I'm not sure if I would think to put that on there. But yeah, it does put words to something that is really abstract. So if you're like, oh, how come this relationship didn't work out? It's like, oh, well, they're an extrovert and I'm an introvert. So I don't have to think about it. But, yeah. Um, yeah. I'm not really sure. I do think it's problematic that it's becoming more high stakes. Like I think I remember taking tests like in magazines, like I used to subscribe to like teen magazines, like 17, uh, 17 still around. I don't know. Um, but it's like they, yeah, they would, is. yeah, they would have like, which one direction character are you? Or like, what kind of wedding should you have or whatever? And it, you would take like a bunch of questions very similar to the Myers-Briggs test. Like, um, they give you scenarios and stuff and you, and you answer them and you add up the points or whatever. And that's, that's fun. That's like something you can do with friends and you laugh about it. You like get to talk about yourself, which most people like to do, but it's very, um, when you have like livelihood attached to it, it's probably easy to be like, oh, well, maybe I should answer questions as if I'm an extrovert, even though I know I'm very introverted. Um, Oh my gosh. Yeah, yeah. I've done that. I've definitely done that in the past where I've like tried to answer as if I'm an extrovert because I, mm -hmm. you know, I don't want to come off as this like unfriendly person. Um, yeah. cause I'm not, but you know, but sometimes people equate talking a lot with friendliness, which I don't think there's an equation there. So for me, how I scored on the Myers-Briggs test was I was an INFP. So I scored high on introversion, intuition, feeling, and perceiving. How about you, Whitney? Anu and I are actually the same personality type. I am also Whoa. an INFP, right? Trippy. Yeah. <laughs> we should have called this the, the INFP podcast where we look at sky pictures and talk about our feelings, but... This <laughs> This show is so shocking. Right? Yeah. And so I, but funny, like when I, at the first time I took the Myers-Briggs test when I was, is when I was in co uh, not college, high school. 
And it was connected to a career aptitude test. So you took a personality test and then immediately after you took a, like a career test. And so I scored ENFP by like one point and two points, um, Mm. extroversion. And at the time it, I was kind of, you know, that makes sense because in high school, middle school, I was kind of trying to put myself out there and make friends and like talk to people like people are, um, people I've learned that people don't really like anecdotes as much as questions. Like they want you to ask questions. Um, people (laughs) like to talk about themselves. Like my dad used to say, like, you remember Whitney, people like to talk about themselves. (laughs) And, um, so like when I had my dad go to like see clients or something, he would like ask people's families about themselves and people would find him really charming and like outgoing. My dad is definitely an extrovert, but yeah, he would always say like, people like to talk about themselves. And so I scored ENFP. And then for the career aptitude test, I scored a lot of interesting jobs. Like the first thing was costume designer. The test told me to be a costume designer. I didn't know how to sew back then, but I liked drawing. It told me to be a museum curator, which only makes about $40,000 if you're lucky. It said I could also be like a graphic designer, which I guess I could see, but I never really got into digital art that much. But it told me not to be a banker. It said, don't do, don't be an accountant <laughs> or, or a banker. So now I'm an artist and nonprofit person, but it's, um, I thought that was interesting. It opened my eyes to a lot of careers that I don't think about very often. Yeah. It's like, oh, I forgot that costume designers exist. Of course they do. I remember taking those career aptitude tests too in high school. And it's funny because I feel like, um, you know, when you're in high school and when you're a teenager, you're like, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to outsmart this test. And that's what I was trying to do. I was like looking at the questions and I was kind of like, okay, what kind of career would I want to be in? And I was kind of guiding my answers in that. So for example, when there were questions about working in the outdoors, I really wanted to be in a future profession that allowed me to work outdoors because, you know, as a teen, you don't really like being cooped up inside. So I guided my answers that way. And I remember that my number one career was actually a gardener. And it's ironic because 10 years later, I don't have much of or any, I don't have that green thumb at all. And I I don't believe I've ever like actually kept a plant and sustained it. So it's really interesting. I there uh, some of my other professions that were recommended were teacher, which you know makes sense, and professor. So along those lines, it's just weird that you can sort of be pigeonholed into these careers based on a few statements or based on your responses to questions at, at a certain period of time and. Do you know what it kind of reminds me of? It sort of reminds me of that movie, The Giver, the movie and the book, um, the book, which is um, a classic. And in that book, you had all these kids and they were basically being categorized and told what professions they were going to go into. And it sort of reminded me a little bit of like that it feels very dystopian to tell people that this is who they are going to be or could be in the future. That's so interesting. You know, I never made that connection between personality tests and dystopian fantasies because right after you said The Giver, which I remember reading in middle school, I thought about that and Divergent, that movie. And it's also, I think it's a book as well, where Mm -hmm. you take a certain test. I don't even think it's a test. I think you just, it's like a ceremony or something, but you, you get placed in these categories. And I would also say like in Harry Potter, like the Hogwarts houses, like who hasn't taken a sorting hat quiz? I'm a Ravenclaw, by the way. (laughs) And you, um, but yeah, it's kind of like influenced by that because you have all these people and it's in four categories, the Myers-Briggs categories, you're in 12 categories, but it's like, how can you generalize people and put them in different things? I think it gives people a sense of identity. 
Okay. Um, so actually, I think I have confused the giver and diversion. I think um, divergent was was the book where it talked about people being relegated to a certain profession. So anyways, um, the basis is still there. So just this idea of being categorized early on into into this field of study that you're potentially going to do. And yeah, I think it is in terms of identity, it gives you a good starting point as long as you don't get super attached to the outcome. So, you know, if you were, let's say your passion was always to do art and instead it said that you were going to be a gardener or if your passion was to always do finance or um, banking and it said that you weren't good at those things that could be discouraging yeah definitely because it I think America puts too much emphasis on testing so it's at a point where even a personality test where technically there are no wrong answers in some ways there are wrong answers depending on where you want to go and we're not really taught to listen to ourselves because what if you what if you're not good at banking, for example, but you really wanted to be a banker? You could learn techniques to help you, or you can get accommodations to learn how to count money better or learn like what it means to be a banker. And you can, I, I think some people can work their way up to becoming what they want to be to an extent. I think natural talent is great to have, but I think it can only take you so far. I think you can learn skills, but not taste necessarily. Yeah, I, I remember taking these personality tests um, in my MBA program. So we did that to kind of see what kind of leaders we would be. And I've also taken it in terms of job applications. I definitely did it when I was applying to retail jobs. And in the documentary, we see examples of people who have been who've basically been rejected for a job because they don't fit the personality characteristics. And I feel like that could have been true for me as well. I, I know a lot of corporations are, are doing those these days. So it's very interesting because I feel like there's these specific characteristics in people that they're looking for, particularly extroversion. Um, someone who's really outgoing, energetic, all of that. And, you know, I would say 50% of people or more don't fit into that category. You know what I mean? So that's completely isolating and taking away this huge segment of the population. Yeah. And it's also discounting people's strengths because when I think about different job applications that I've applied to where we're both in nonprofit, where a lot of sustaining nonprofits is asking for money. And I work jobs where I've had to ask people for money and I, I hate asking for money. Um, I'm really thankful that I'm not a, I'm not a gift officer. I actually do operations now as my day job, but I find that extroversion is very much preferred over introversion in a lot of professions. And it's unfortunate because I would say that all personality types have their strengths and weaknesses. And I think that was Briggs-Meyer's um, original intent where it's like, oh, everyone has their strengths and weaknesses. It's just been kind of bastardized into this thing that is really out of her control at this point. And so when I was watching the documentary, I was like, oh, how many jobs have I been passed over because I'm an introvert, because I'm because I'm too, I perceive things instead of judge things or because I'm not like super outgoing or whatever. And it do, it really depends on where I am. Like if I'm, if I know you and I'm comfortable around you, like, yeah, I'll talk so much and I'll talk about random things and be really loose. But if I don't know you that well, or if I have a bad vibe about you, like, yeah, I'll probably be really quiet. Or if I don't have anything to say, I probably won't say anything. I'm not really one of those people who likes to say stuff for the sake of saying stuff. And I think extroversion is stereotypically, stereotypically, they enjoy small talk. They talk about various things. Um, to me, the introvert experience is trying to find quiet in a world that just won't stop talking. It's so, and that's praised. Like, 
when we think about like great leaders, like they talk about being extroverts. And I would say that there's so much strength in being an introvert. There is. And for me, being an introvert for me means just speaking when I have something meaningful to say. So yeah, I'm definitely not good at small talk. Like if I go to a party or something and I have to do it, I'm just like, I'm pretty hopeless at it. So I like this idea of people just saying things when they actually have something to say rather than just filling up space um, for the sake of it being too quiet. I remember in previous jobs or even in school, <laughs> when when someone would come up to me in the hallway or come up to me um, at work and say in the mornings or afternoons, like, hi, how are you? I would just say, good. And then I would just walk away. And now I've learned that that's actually it can be very off-putting to people, which I didn't know before. I mean, I was, I was just answering, you know, my truth. But um, now I've learned that, you know, if you don't say, good, how are you? How, like, how are you doing too? Um, then it's considered a bit rude. So, yeah, I mean, that's one of those things that didn't really occur to me until I was a bit older. But Um, I think for an extrovert, when they get that question, like, hi, how are you? They would probably stop and talk more. And that's just, that's just not in me because I mean, I have nothing to talk to. I I have nothing to talk about. I think that's also something that is often within Asian culture. I think that's one of the kind of Asian American experiences, because like when I think about my family, like we don't really have long conversations about nothing like we'll talk about very serious things like I would say that introversion is um and I'm not saying that extroverts are shallow but I'm saying that like with introverts I find that it's about quality of what you have to say because I'm the person at the board meeting or whatever where it's like I'll have a little to say but I'll have what I have to say is something that is a lot of people find quite profound, which makes me proud of myself. Cause it's like, I have ideas where I'm like, oh, I see a problem and I can, I have a suggestion for this and we can try this and here's our plan and all of that. For an extrovert, they're probably the one presenting and being like, and talking about the problem or talking about something else or trying to do like, I don't know, a team building activity or something. But I, I find that I can do small talk. I think that's part of some, that's something I had to teach myself when I was kind of being assimilated as a child where I I don't remember asking people how they were growing up because I know, I don't even know why we do that. People don't want to know how you are. Like if I'm having a depressive episode and I'm saying like, oh, I'm kind of depressed, but here I am. Like there, people are going to feel really awkward if I say that. So it's easier to just say that you're good. I'm not, I've never really understood why people do that. I think America is one of the only places where that happens a lot, mm-hmm. uh, maybe Britain, but I, I find that it's really awkward because I often, it's like a greeting. It's kind of like, I think of it as an extended greeting. Like instead of just saying hi to someone, um, like if I said, oh, hi, Anu, and just like kind of walked by, like you'd probably say that was fine. But people who don't know me that well was like, oh, Whitney's kind of like stuck up or something. So it has to be like, hi, how are you? And then you got to do the little song and dance. Yeah. Or else you just come off as unfriendly. And yeah. Um, and for Asians, that's it's really easy to come off as unfriendly. I've noticed. Like, if you're a person say, of color, it's like yeah. it's really easy to come off as stuck up or something. Like I've had bosses where they've said like, oh, I wish you were more outgoing or you'd smile more. And it's like, this is just my face. Like it's, I don't know. I know. I, for the life of me, I can't really fake smile. And it's been a, it's been an issue because there have been jobs, um, especially when I've worked in the entertainment industry uh, here in LA, where you definitely want to put on like this this show kind of, um, or this facade in terms of just being really cool with everyone, being really 
energetic and bubbly and I'm just not very good at it. I just, uh, when I try to fake smile, it, it looks more so like I want to kill someone and it just, it doesn't work well for me. I feel the same way. And I think it's interesting because I think when I kind of smile, like I try to have kind of a neutral face where I know it's a conscious decision to smile for me. And I think for a lot of white Americans, that's like the default, like for like our ax murderer face is the default for them. Like, <laughs> it's Because like, I, I feel kind of like an ax murderer too. Like when I'm just like sitting and just like smiling at people, it's like, why? Just why? Yeah. Yeah. And if I'm just thinking about something, people, um, I've had people say like, oh, I thought you were kind of aloof or weren't paying attention. And it's like, no, I'm paying attention. Like it's like these perceptions that you've that one has had on people who are more introverted, people who are more to themselves. And that's what I mean when people, when I say like, oh, it's harming people of different cultures, because I I didn't grow up in a family where people would just hug each other and talk to each other about nothing. Like I, I know people who have families where they talk about random things and they're very close and they're very loud and it's very warm, but that's just not really in, that's not really within a lot of Asian culture. And so you're being othered yet again. And actually, when I was growing up, I remember this, um, like my family, when we, when we smiled, we usually, and I wonder, I, I think this could be an Indian thing because I've seen other people do it as well, but a lot of people just like close their mouths and smile and, and they don't tend to show teeth. I was definitely taught that way as well. Um, so even in pictures nowadays, it's it's hard for me to like actually show teeth and, and smile the more American way. And that's just a cultural and family influence that I had, you know? So mm-hmm. I think in terms of people perceiving you in a different way, I think that's there's that cultural aspect of it too. In high school, there was this one teacher that noted that when I talked to her, I didn't look her in the eyes. That also was a cultural thing because um, in some cultures, it's it's more respectful, like especially when you're talking to a person of authority, if you don't like stare them like dead on in the eyes, like it's more of like a humbling gesture to like look down. Um, so there's that aspect of it too. Yeah, I had to teach myself to look into people's eyes. So now it's now it's automatic almost to where it because in American culture, if you're staring into someone's eyes, that means you're listening. Yeah. Like if you're on your phone or you're looking at something else or you're just doing multitasking, like you're not being attentive enough. Like I I remember being taught that if you look in someone's eyes, it's that's something that you have with a person that you're either intimate with or someone who you're really close to, but you don't do that with everyone. In America, you do that with everyone. And it means that you're being attentive and you're talking. Like when I, I think about when, um, like when I shake people's hands, remember handshaking pre-pandemic? Um, yeah. You would um, look in people's eyes and like make that connection. And it's kind of awkward. It's kind of an awkward dance that you do to show that you're friendly and you're, you're whatever, but yeah, that's definitely something that I had to work on a lot where it was a conscious decision when I was a kid. It's like, you look into their eyes, but now it's automatic. So I guess it worked. In terms of employers, um, you said that you definitely had people in the past who wanted more of that extroversion factor, but um, I know there was like the specific story about an old job that you had and a specific plant. I think I was going to tell that story when you were talking about being a gardener, but yeah, so I, (laughs) but that's okay. The story is pretty funny. It's pretty funny. And if, um, anyone who I used to work with, uh, I'm not mad. It's just hilarious that you sent me this gift. So please just, just laugh with me. I used to work at a nonprofit in Southern California before I moved here to Chicago. And when I first got hired, they sent me a, a lucky bamboo plant. 
And I had no idea who it was from at first. Like I was doing something else. I think I was in Echo Park for the day and I came home and Toby was like, oh, there's this box for you here. And it said live. It said live on it just in big letters. And I was like, what is this? It wasn't making any sounds. And I was like, I don't know if it's like dead or something or I thought my friend Owen had sent it to me because he's throughout our friendship we've sent each other like joke gifts or like left each other like joke items to find and so I was like oh this is just a gift from Owen and so I opened it and it's this lucky bamboo plant and it's a gift from uh, the nonprofit that I worked at it was really beautiful I set it up and I thought it was really cool and I was also but I was also like a lucky bamboo like is this because I'm Asian is this like vaguely racist like the other person got a bouquet of flowers I found that out later and I was like the other new hire got a bouquet and I was like well, I, I like it. Like, I'm just going to choose not to look too much into it. And um, Lucky Bamboo is really expensive for those who for those who don't buy plants. Not that I buy a lot of plants, but Lucky Bamboo in particular, especially the bigger it is, or if it's in a fancy design, it can be like $50 and up. Like, it's a very expensive plant. And you can, if you have like a vase and everything with it, which mine had, it can go up to like $80 or something. So I looked up my plant. It was like $60, I think. And I was like, oh, that's so interesting. And my partner was like, you can put it on your desk. And they said, it's kind of weird that they bought you this plant that you must now take care of. And I'm like, well, I'll, I'll try my best. And it was fine. I just like watered it every once in a while. But then I... I was getting to know the people at my job and a lot of the people had worked together there for a long time. And so they all kind of knew each other. There was like maybe one or two introverted people, but they had since been integrated into the fold pretty well. But the people who had any power within the job were very much extroverted. And I was like, okay, well, I'm really new and I'm like very introverted and I'm trying to like figure out my job. Like they weren't very organized when they hired me or the other person. And my boss, who I would say is very extroverted, at least when I when I see them, they are very like, they're very friendly when you talk to them. They're very like, they have a lot to say. And um, I remember during performance reviews, like I got like one or two performance reviews, like many performance reviews. And they would, the biggest feedback would always be about my personality. It was very rarely about the work that I did. Like the quality of work was always good. But it was always about my personality. It was like talking more during meetings or talking more about different issues or uh, being more outgoing. Like um, I was tasked a few times with asking people for money, calling people asking for money, and which I hate doing. And so um, I remember writing myself a script about like... Um, I was given a script, but I edited it to my liking. And I was like, I have to sound really friendly and use what I call the white lady voice. And I, I, I'm from California. And so I find that living in Chicago now, I talk a little differently than those who have grown up in the Midwest. And that's the first time I've ever found that like, oh, I sound kind of different from people. But I had to be like, okay, I'm going to sound so cheerful. And when I ask these people for money, the reason why we were asking for money was because we there was a lot of money mismanagement at this particular place I was working at. And so when I found out that there was a lot of money mismanagement, we didn't have any money really, I um, I went home and I was like, oh, this plant is just a symbol of their money mismanagement. And then it started to die. Like, and so <laughs> uh, it's so it's like the energy I put into this plant. And the plant is not it became like a symbol um, also of the passive racism that I experienced there. But I was also like, oh, this plant. And I, I didn't take it to Chicago. It's like in a dump somewhere probably. But I, um, yeah, I just thought that was so interesting. Like that performance review and a couple of others in the past, it was mostly about personality. And I began to think like, oh, is it really about me? It's like, yeah, it might be. Like maybe I could stand to like, ask a couple more questions, give less anecdotes, but it's like, is that, it's like, why can't people just embrace that some people talk differently, if that makes sense? Exactly. Like, and everyone has their way of communicating. It's like, I, I wish there would be more understanding about that, that, you know, that you don't always have to be this person that's always on and 
always has something to say in a meeting or in a conversation like sometimes you know maybe you're just being introspective and thinking and just kind of sitting with the quiet and that's something people are really uncomfortable with is the quiet Americans find silence really uncomfortable I've been in countless meetings where people will talk about like, they'll just ask about your family or like, I remember being in a meeting at, uh, and people would be like, oh, so um, tell me about when you first came out because like, I, like, I'm pretty openly queer at all my jobs. And um, I was like, that's a really private thing to ask someone who you just met or who you're in a professional setting with. Yeah. I, I didn't really have a huge issue with talking about it, but I was like, that is a bit invasive. Like, I think um, this person's also heterosexual, um, I assume. And so I was like, oh, this person probably wants a sob story about queer this. But I was like, that's so, why is it socially acceptable to ask stuff like that? Yeah. I would say that it comes up naturally when you talk to someone more. I never understand the people who you aren't familiar with um, and then they start to ask you like these really invasive questions about um, your personal life or your family and I'm just like I'm, I get super guarded when it comes to just talking about people I care about so I just start like put up a wall and I'm like you don't know me like that like why why are we talking about this like you you don't know anything about me. You probably don't even know my last name or how to spell or how to pronounce my first name. So they probably you know. messed up your name. Yeah, I was just <laughs> going to say that. Like, <laughs> So yeah, exactly. So this idea that you have to like be this open book to everyone um, is kind of how I, I perceive an extrovert is. And like Brene Brown says, a person we, we both really respect not everyone deserves to hear your story and not everyone deserves to be a part of your journey. So I think it's okay to close aspects of yourself off and just keep those aspects open for the people that you truly care about. Definitely. I've, I have a friend who, um, she told me at one point, like, don't give people access to the real you. Like I used to work at retail. I I worked at an adult store in the Bay and there was a lot of not giving people access to the real me because the job was commission based. And so I had to really hustle to, to be able to make an okay wage. And I remember kind of mirroring other people and be like, oh, well, I wouldn't buy myself this item, but this person, it might be perfect for them. So I'm going to be that person who I'm going to act like someone who loves this item or someone who would consider buying this item. And so there was a lot of like talking about um, talking about things like their their partners or their friends or or whatever, kind of just like being in that space for a bit. It becomes exhausting after a while. But what would you say are some strengths of introversion? I think I think a lot of people already know the strengths of a lot of extroverts. I think they're very apparent um, and overrepresented. But I would say for introversion, there's a lot of strengths in. I guess, parsing out things that aren't things that aren't needed. Like I would say a lot of introverts I know are really efficient. I would say that we're very, we are very good at kind of judging things based on our experiences and how things are going to work out. I think that we're very thoughtful people. I think that we're, um, we process things differently. And I would say that it's more efficient than, gathering a bunch of information and talking about it like I would say that a lot of introverts I know are pretty decisive like they can make decisions really quickly what do you think I feel like with introverts there's more of this um at least with the ones that I know there's more of this um, listening aspect and because you listen you you find out pieces of information about other people and you also develop this more caring aspect, I think, too. So I, I feel a lot of introverts are super considerate because they've kind of sat in that quiet to observe this person and observe their facial reactions or the tone of their voice and all of this, all of these things. So 
um, that's that's something I've found and um, on the same line, like introverts, I've seen to be more detail oriented as well. Yeah, um, definitely. So yeah, that I, I love that question or that we're talking about the, the strength of introverts because I've actually never seen anyone bring that up. Like I've never seen anyone ask why or, or put a magnifying glass on introverts and see what the strength is. I've only um, heard people talk about introversion as a weakness. So I think it's normal to to feel that way because we've been taught that like not only are we othered in these other ways, like being being Asian American, being people of color, but also being introverted, like come on, like it's um, very like if you're quiet, you're you're aloof or there's like certain things about you that you've that we've been taught that are that are bad. And I would say that we should talk about introvert strengths more and it should be more embraced because there are more of us than people think. Like, I think if people, I would say a lot of people who may have been extroverted in high school, like it's my experience probably isn't uncommon. Like acting more extroverted in high school than college. And then like really finding out at the end that you're an introvert because it just depends on how you process things. It has nothing to do with being friendly. Like I would say that I, most people would say that I'm a pretty friendly person and I do genuinely care about how one is doing. A lot of people I work with right now are, are introverts and I'm really thankful for that because I've been able to give, be given the tools to process things and to come back with some sort of suggestions and it seems to have worked out so far. So I think it just depends. Like it's okay to be understated. Like you don't, not everything has to be this big kind of showmanship like showmanship's kind of overrated I mean yeah exactly do you think a person's personality impacts if you hang out with them or if you date them or whatsoever like do you tend to gravitate towards certain personalities I know for me I tend to hang out with more introverts and I actually can't look at my friend group and really say that and I, 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 you know, no offense to anyone in my friend group who thinks they're an extrovert, but I actually can't really look at anyone and say that I feel like they're an extrovert. I feel like pretty much all my friends and the people I surround myself with are introverts. That's just my personal impression and opinion. Um, it may not be true of how they see themselves, but how about you, Whitney? Do you like, do you tend to, gravitate to a certain personality? I would say that's a really good question. I think that, you know, we've talked about introversion, extroversion a lot in this episode, but the, for me, when I decide who gets to, I guess, be in the circle of trust or who gets to hang out, like it takes, I take a lot of the other letters into account as well. So even though this test is a bit problematic, like it is interesting how we just kind of gravitate towards each other. Like mo I would say most of my friends are introverts. I would say most uh, creative people who I've become friends with are introverted. But the thing is we enjoy, we tend to enjoy being out and like doing stuff, experiencing different things. But I think that's where the intuition comes in and the feeling comes in where you, you want to experience different things, but you're tired and you want to go home at some point. Like there's no, um, most introverts probably want to go to the after party after the after party. Like it's, it depends. In terms of dating, my my fiance is an ISFJ, so introversion, sensing, feeling, and judging. And we it wasn't a conscious decision where I was like, oh, this person's an ISFJ. I should like jump on that. But it's very like um, it's interesting how we kind of gravitate towards each other because I didn't know their personality type for the longest time. People who I've been attracted to or have fallen for are introverts. If I had to guess, my uh, my ex was probably an ENFP. She was a very creative person, definitely thought, based everything off of her feelings, and um, but was very outgoing and would just kind of, she, she would want to go to the after party after the after party. And I, I'd probably find that lifestyle exhausting in the end. So I would say most of my friends are introverts. I have a couple of kind of golden retrievery, like 
extroverted friends who try to be a little more they kind of go on different parts of the spectrum they try to sense things out be quote objective about things versus kind of just following your feelings and it's uh it's kind of a split but i would say the majority of the people who stick around long term are introverts i think we also don't take it personally when we don't talk for a long time <laughs> yeah that's, that's so like true that's a big thing in adult life right because we can't always be catching up every single day there there might be months or even years that go by I think at this point late 20s 30s like we're just thankful that people still want to talk to us like it's <laughs> so like yeah. I when I hear from like friends or people like get text messages or Facebook messages or whatever I'm just like oh yay like people still like me like I used to feel so guilty about not being able to keep up with people's lives especially on social media where social media is interesting for me as an introvert because and as someone who who feels things, perceives things, because I'm like, well, I'm not really taking time away from people because I'm catching up with their lives through their pictures and status updates. Mm -hmm. So even though you're looking at their profiles and you're not talking to them, it's still designed to be kind of exhausting because you're processing a lot of information about that person. And it can it can even be at a rate where if you were just talking to one person, you would be processing the information of one person. But if you do endless scrolling, like I do sometimes, you're processing the same amount of info or more about multiple people. It can make you feel really, really tired and like you haven't processed anything. Yeah, that's super interesting. I know for me as an introvert, I tend not to use social media that much for personal purposes. Um, so just that idea of like, telling the world or, you know, my world, which might be my, um, you know, my couple hundred friends on Facebook and just telling them what I'm up to or like what I'm eating <laughs> or um, giving them an update on my life. It feels like a big deal. I know for someone, someone else, it might just feel very normal, but there's, there's a certain amount of pressure that comes to me when I do a social media post. I'm like, okay, is, is, are people going to like this? Do I look good in this photo? Should I post mm -hmm. this photo? And I think with extroverts, there's, there's a much more confidence um, in doing that. Definitely. Like I find that I don't, I don't really post that much lately. I, I used to repost a lot of things. Like I used to post a lot of memes, a lot of kind of, a lot of political items, a lot of gay rights things before before I finished college and now I try to create my social media where there's more joy in my social media where because I find that when I was in school a lot of people myself included would post things about like being sad or being depressed or something and for me it's like okay well this is something that not everyone gets access to like I don't need advice from people on social media like I can talk yeah. to I can talk to someone about this and I can talk to like one or two people and not like a bunch of people. So I, I try to post things that make me happy, like food pictures or my cats or something. And so it's like you get on social media, you get a heavily curated version of me, but I like to think it's still somewhat authentic to where I'm like, oh, these are big parts of me that I'm willing to put the time and energy into sharing. The same goes for Instagram. I use my personal Instagram for my art a lot. But I, um, I'm not really in a rush to create too much, especially with the pandemic. I'm like, well, I have to slow down because if I, without me, there's no art. And so it's good to, you have to take care of yourself so you can keep creating because if you don't, if you don't do that, then you won't get anything. So I might post like once or twice a week. Uh, I try to do that. Sometimes I go like a couple of weeks without posting, but most extroverts would say like, oh, that's really bad for your page. But I'm like, well, that's just how it has to be, I guess. You know, I think it brings up a really interesting point that I feel like as we grow older, we're, and in terms of our social media use, I feel that we are actually posting more for ourselves. Whereas when we were younger, we were posting more so for others. And mm -hmm. I like that trend. Um, for example, like, yes, you know, I, I, I sometimes don't understand like the people who post a lot 
about are like all these photos of their kids and like every little thing that their family is doing. Like for me, it seems like this projection um, of this life that you want other people to see. And as an introvert, I'm more like, you know, why not keep that for yourself? Like, why Mm -hmm. does it have to be this, this public, um, life that everyone can see, like even with wedding photos, like I don't believe I would ever put my personal wedding photo up on social media, but the majority of people do. So I know I'm in the very, like, I'm sort of in the margins there, but, um, for me, it's like, that's such a special moment in my life. And I don't want it to be observed by all these people that I'm not really close to. Yeah, definitely. I can see that. I, I've never really been one who posts all these little things that I'm doing. Like I think when social media first came out, cause we, we were younger, um, when social media first started becoming trendy. And so we're kind of the guinea pigs of social media, I would say our generation is. And so we're, we were kind of learning how to do that. And so now the newer generation has been trying to figure out how to use it and they've taken it to a whole different dimension. Um, like with TikTok, which I'm just not going to bother with, like with Facebook, I, I think I used to post a lot more about friends. Like I used to say like, Oh, I'm at the beach today with, with whoever, and it would get likes and stuff. But I try to keep those moments private, not, not like just because I'm ashamed or anything, but just because I want to be more present. Like if I post, if I'm posting 20 pictures of a trip I took, then maybe it's like, am I really being present in my life? Like, am I really being present in my travel experience? Like, yeah. Can't I just, like, I posted a picture on my social media. Toby and I went to a hot pot restaurant in Chinatown last weekend. And it was just so much fun because we both got vaccinated and they were following COVID restrictions really well. And so we felt safe enough to go and eat at the restaurant. Mm -hmm. And so we were like, wow, this is the first time we've eaten inside a restaurant, not outside, not like in a bubble, not like in a takeout. Um, I'm just going to post a picture on social media. And I haven't done that in a long time. And I posted a picture of the food. And I was like, oh, being vaccinated is the best. So really it was a message to like get vaccinated, but it was also a, um, just like that joy that I felt being in a restaurant. And I was, I took like a bunch of pictures for us because I I am one of those people who post food pictures because food is joy. But I I was like, okay, people don't need to see 20 pictures of my hot pot. They can see (laughs) one or two pictures of my hot pot. And that's just as good. Like, I'm happy for those who have children or those who have families where they feel comfortable, they're close enough to where they can post a bunch of pictures. But I, I do agree with you, Amy, where it's like, those are moments that you should be spending with your family rather than trying to like talk to, like talk to people, talk to the void, I guess, call to the void about, um, about showing off pictures of your family. Yeah. I mean, yeah. and again, like everyone you know, has their preferences. And if, if you like to do that, like if you like to show private moments uh, or personal moments on social media, that's completely normal. That's what, uh, you know, a vast majority of people do. But for me, I just see like social media taking on this sort of um, culture where everyone wants to be a celebrity and everyone wants everyone else to know what's going on with them and the accomplishments and achievements they're making in life. And it just, it, the truth of it is, and, you know, I hope it doesn't sound too harsh, but everyone is not a celebrity. <laughs> like we're all just Nor normal people. Nor should we all be. Yeah. Like <laughs> that would be so, you know, I, I tell people, I was like, you know, I don't necessarily want to be a celebrity. Like I would like to be well-known within my communities. Uh-huh. Like we we create this podcast. So there's a part of us that there, as arrogant as it might be, there is a part of both of us that makes us think, oh, our stories are not only worth telling, but maybe some people will resonate with it. And so there's an arrogance that has to come with that. But I wouldn't say that we're trying to be like the next NPR. It's just, we do this for ourselves first. We do this no matter what. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And 
just this idea, I think, yeah, with social media, I can just go on and on about criticizing it, but um, which is funny because I, I also think it can be really well used for inspirational and motivational purposes. Here's a question before we end. What, how can society, what can society do to help people like us? Like, so INFPs are pretty, I would say pretty low on the Myers-Briggs totem pole. We've talked about how problematic the tests are, but we're not really sure if that's going to go away anytime soon. Like what can society do for introverts, you think? There was this one book that I read. Um, it, it was called You Are a Badass by Jen Sincero. And that book was pretty life-changing for me. But there's something that she said in there that really resonated. And she was talking about how in this world, the person that we are is a unique being and no one else that has come before you or is going to come after you will ever be exactly you. Like they will never think the same way that Whitney does, or they will never act uh, or make the same jokes um, that Anu does. Like that person will never be in existence again. So that uniqueness comes only once, only once. Yeah. And it comes Mm -hmm. during your lifetime. So I think that's where personalities are sometimes looked at as these categorizations of where people should fall into. Whereas I think we should look more so at people as unique beings and accept all personalities because everyone who's coming into this world has something unique to give. And I think that's special in itself. So to prioritize extroverts over introverts or to place emphasis on some characteristics over others, I think is minimizing that. In terms of how introverts can benefit, I think just this mindset that there is this one category that is superior or better than another when it comes to professional um, purposes or even personal purposes, that idea is false. And to start poking holes into that idea would be very helpful. You said it so well. I don't really have a whole lot to add. I I definitely agree with all of that, where I think a way to a way to care for those who are different from you is to be curious about it. Where it's like if I meet someone who is extroverted and I would hope that they wouldn't make snap judgments about me and how I'm going to act or how I'm going to process things. Because I would say that in certain situations, like I probably defy a lot of stereotypes that one probably thinks of when they see someone who looks like me or looks like Anu. Like it's not everyone can be put into these, these boxes. And that's one of the fun things about human existence. And so if you get curious and you decide that it's okay not to process things super quickly, you can take your time to process things. Like you're never going to harm anyone by taking time to get to know someone or process things. And so I think that is a good way to care for, to care for the introverts in your life, to care for the people who are different from you in your life by embracing their strengths, because everyone has something to offer. It's just a matter of finding that, of finding the things that you enjoy and the things that you're able to do. And these letters that you might find community in, it's not necessarily, it shouldn't be tied to your livelihood. It shouldn't be, you shouldn't feel like you have to be someone that you're not to, to succeed. On that note, that sums it up for our episode on personality. If you enjoyed this episode, as usual, you know, give us five stars on whatever platform you're listening to, whether that might be Apple Podcasts, Spotify, anchor um, etc and please also follow us on social media we are at build community on social media and we would love to hear your feedback and your perspectives on any of the topics that we talk about so we'll see you next episode